0: Hey guys, welcome back to In the Foxhole. This is Raphael. We'll be talking about the episode titled Replacements. It is the fourth episode of the Banner Brothers mini-series. And the fifth episode of In the Foxhole with Banner Brothers. Uh, last episode we talked about was Carrington. Uh, uh, discussed both the battles of Carrington and the Bloody Gulch. As the Parachute Infantry Regiment accomplishes its objective in connecting both beachheads We learned about the notion of death and what surviving soldiers had to go through when war kills their brothers in arms. The Carrington episode is centered around Private Albert Blythe and the traumatic sequence of events that he went through, finding the distinct division between fear and accomplishing your objective. Aside from Blythe, we continue to learn more about other key soldiers in the company, like Spears and Malarkey. In the days and weeks post Carrington, Easy Company had sustained multiple injuries and dead paratroopers. And overall, nearly half of the regiment was impacted, which led to immediate replacement. Thus, uh, befitting of what this next episode's title is, Replacements.
1: In the Foxhole is not endorsed by HBO Home Entertainment, DreamWorks Television, and Playtone Production Company. Band of Brothers, its logos, names, still frames, and audio are registered trademarks and copyrights of their respective owners. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. All research information and audio used for the production are cited at www.nesequirypodcast.com and any missed sites are merely unintentional.
0: Interviews from the Survivors Some Tacoa men and some replacements gave immediate description of the dynamic once the paratrooper infantry regiment was resupplied with men. Replacements found it difficult at times to get in the good graces of those veteran paratroopers, while the Tacoa men found no urgency to get to know the replacements on a personal level. They really did not want to invest any personal or even emotional attachment to soldiers that may be dead the next day. We catch up with the men of Easy Company at an assembly area or bar. The men are in their dress uniforms with their four-pocket tunics on, decorated with all their newly issued medals and jump wings. We see a mix of tacoa men and replacements drinking, playing darts, smoking, talking to a few women. Sergeant Garnier approaches a table of
1: replacements. Hey, fellas. What right you here? What do you say? Uh, actually, it's Babe. Uh, private Hefferns. Is that right? don't care if it's fucking Eisenhower's. Who are you? Uh, Private Miller, James Miller. I'm in Sergeant Randleman's squad. Us too, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Les Hashin. Tony. Garcia. I know who you are. don't miss nothing. So, have front tell you about Doris yet? No. Well, mm-hmm. well then I'm gonna educate you. Getting ready to get on the plane for that first frog town we never jumped into. All of a sudden, Heffern stops dead in his tracks. banging and a bang and a boom. Everybody banging into each other and everything. Heffern's just staring up at the nose of the plane because, on it, I painted this beautiful pinup. Written underneath, Darling Doris. Doris. Just happens to be the name. But a skirt, who just that day sent Babe one them letters. You know, the. Where, what, 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 do you, what do you call them letters at the broadsend? Uh, Dear John letter. That's it. A Dear Babe letter. <laughs> well, anyway, lucky for Babe, Patton overruns our drop zone. Mission canceled. In other words, Babe don't have to risk getting inside old Doris again. <laughs> 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 hey, boy, your squad listens up real good. This was a
0: funny little piece of audio, this scene. It was just Garnier trying to loosen up these new guys. More of an opportunity to let these replacements know it's okay to relax. But when I'm in the thick of it, listen to us. Kind of a uh, veteran's advice, so to speak. Relax, but when we're on that front line, make sure you always listen to us. We quickly learn that Carwood Lipton was promoted to Easy Company First Sergeant. In the latter part of the recognition, we learn he has an announcement to make. He again brings some bad news, like in the last scene on the previous episode. It's time to move out again," he says. We see some rough banter between Tekoa men and replacements. The small scene with Private Miller and Cobb proves to be something of a regular occurrence during the initial phases of company calibration. Sergeant Bull Randleman then reminds Cobb that he didn't jump in Normandy neither. It appears that Sergeant Randleman has most of the replacements in this episode. In fact, he is a soldier that will be spotlighted in this episode. The next scene shows the entire company in a huge outdoor assembly area where they are being briefed on the next operation. Market Garden Operation Market Garden, which takes place in the Netherlands, was considered the largest airborne operation up to that point. Market Garden was named that for the two strategic objectives in in the operation. Market for seizing key bridges with British armed support. Garden for the ground attack to immediately follow command of said bridges. Their objective was to liberate Eindhoven, a key city in the Northern Netherlands occupation. Easy Company was tasked with liberating the city and preparing the city for key bridge seizures in order to assist the British army with transportation across the Rhine River. In preparation of the day jump into occupied Holland, the men of Easy are on the airstrip going through their equipment checks with their replacements when a familiar face arrives to the area. I just say... Two familiar faces, we see Popeye Wynn standing on a jeep returning from the aid hospital after his gunshot wound from Braycourt Manor. In the same jeep, none other than Captain Sobel. Let
1: you out of the hospital like that boy. (laughs) They didn't let me out, I busted out, I didn't want to get reassigned to some other unit. Yeah,
0: can you make the jump? Sure I can't live, I just can't sit.
1: Welcome back, Popeye. Well, Popeye went AWOL just in time to jump. What's he doing here? Oh, Sumble? Well, he's the newly appointed regimental S4. Supply officer? Yeah, you got it. He picked me up in Oldborn, trying to find you guys. He know you went AWOL? He knows. He just said I was lucky. I could sit out this jump if I wanted. I said I didn't want him. So he says hop in. Hop in. Yeah, I know. I couldn't believe it either. Eh? Maybe he's going to court-martial me later. huh? Let's get you some gear.
0: As I was watching, I see that Captain Sobel is somewhat apprehensive from exiting the Jeep in front of his old company of men. But he sucks it up and does it anyways. For a split second, I believe being the new supply officer may have humbled Captain Sobel to truly enjoy the time he had developing easy company. That is, until he opens his mouth as he approaches Malarkey, who is visibly pissed that the motorcycle with sidecar that he yanked from the supply pool earlier was now packed up in Sobel's inventory caravan.
1: This here will be a nice defile position. Email. Over there. Son of a bitch. Malarkey. Sergeant Malarkey. You thought you'd get away with it? What do you mean, sir? Sergeant, that motorcycle is United States Army property. That may not mean anything to you, but it means something to me. Where'd you find it? It all
0: right. We proceed to the day jump in the Netherlands. I know that the real thing does not do this justice, but it truly was interesting to see the interpretation of the jump in the episode. All those paratroopers in the air dropping without resistance and anti-aircraft fire. As the paratroopers rally together, they notice some people hanging an orange bedsheet from their second floor window. A clear indication that the Germans have fled that part of Eindhoven. For more than three years in German occupation, the town is now feeling some form of freedom. The scene immediately cuts to the town center, where Eindhoven is in full celebration mode at the arrival of both Easy Company paratroopers and the British Armored Division. Everyone is taken to the streets to cheer on the Allied soldiers. Dutch men are shaking the hands of the paratroopers, and for some paratroopers, they are greeted by Dutch women who are enamored with the liberation of their town. For the NCOs and the executive officers, it proves rather difficult to keep these young men in formation and moving toward th- through the crowd. The men are taken aback by the sight of some Dutch women being shamed in front of everyone, being stripped of their clothes and locks of hair shaven to the skin. Lieutenant Winters is confused at the sight of this public shaming when he's greeted by a member of the Dutch Resistance.
1: What did they do? They slept with the Germans. They are lucky. The men who collaborated are being shot. Mr. Van Kuyk here is with the Dutch Resistance. We've been waiting and hoping for this day for almost five years. Says he can help us secure the bridges here. Yes, together we can push the remaining Germans out of Eindhoven. And that's just the beginning. Any idea where they might be? Uh, well, we're still working on that right now. Peace and his friends here are getting information as we speak. His contacts a couple towns down said they saw the British second guard's armor move through half an hour ago. They're kids. These are reliable reports. Anything we can do to help you, we will do. Anything.
0: As paratroopers move on to non- Noonan, they are greeted with a heavily fortified town. As Allied paratroopers move in, they notice German armor hidden, waiting in perfect defilade for the oncoming British armored caravan rolling through town. Sergeant Mardin and Private Heffron try to warn the lead British tank of the German Tiger tank ahead but cannot see what the paratroopers, what the paratroopers see. Martin advises to blast a few rounds into the adjacent building. But the tank commander disagrees and says he's been ordered no unnecessary destruction of property. This, discre- this disagreement proves to be costly, as the lead tank is a sitting duck for the German tank fire. As soon as fire commences, a few British tanks are already disabled, and German forces unleash a full attack on the flanks of Allied paratroopers on the ground. What continues is a great show of American counterattacks. While unsuccessful, we see the full strength and courage of the Easy Company paratroopers. This time, German forces were heavily fortified and with the advantage. Multiple tank forces, German soldiers in the hundreds, on the ground and in the buildings, it was clear that there was no option but to fall back. As the American paratroopers began to retreat, Sergeant Buck Compton is shot in the backside. In shock, perhaps, he urges Mullarky to leave him him there for the Germans, since he is... Heavy stature would prove very difficult for the scrawny soldiers, like Morlarky, to carry him out to safety. With the help from Muck and Garnier, Morlarky was able to use a barn stall door to drag Compton out to safety and load it onto the transport vehicle. As they mentioned, one bullet hole, one bullet, four holes, gotta be lucky. During the commotion, as Lieutenant Winters is ordering paratroopers to load the trucks, Nixon's hit in the helmet from a ricochet sniper bullet. It appears that the ricochet did not penetrate the helmet, but clearly Nixon is shaken up. As American forces fall back, Sergeant Randleman's missing. During the attack, Randleman is injured by flying shrapnel from a hit tank. You clearly see Randleman knocked off his feet as the shrapnel punctures his backside. He begins to crawl to safety to maneuver away from a runaway tank on fire. The scene immediately cuts off to other paratroopers falling back, so the outcome of Randallman is not entirely known until later in the episode. Captain, we got four dead, eleven injured. Okay, let's move them out. Oh, and sir, Randallman's missing too. Randallman? Yes, sir. As we now see Noonan with German soldiers occupying it, we notice Randolin in what seems to be a flood tunnel or a wildlife tunnel under, underneath the road. With soldiers all around, it's only a matter of time before German soldiers notice him. Sergeant Randleman must find other quarters to wait out the German soldiers. As the group of replacements and few others decide to track back to find Randleman, we cut back to the sergeant who has decided to hide in a nearby farmhouse. In the meantime, Randleman is interrupted by a local farmer who was entering that said farmhouse. At the order of Randleman, the farmer and daughter are quiet as some German soldiers arrive outside of the farmhouse. As most left, one German entered the farmhouse to urinate and noticed a bloody cloth that fell off Randleman's person as it was used to stop his shoulder bleeding. With that discovery, it's known that something does not seem right for that German. As the air co- coordinates begin to make their way above the town, this will prove to be the only opportunity Randleman has to engage on the soldier. He readies and fixes his bayonet. What happens next is an intense bayonet fight, which calls back to the soldiers training at Takoa and Alborn. Randleman able to kill the enemy convincingly. As morning arrives, Sergeant Randleman is found by reconnaissance and is transported back to his squad and Easy Company. The morale of the company is immediately lifted as they see Randleman return back in one piece. The episode ends with Winters talking with Nixon about his frustration of the recent retreating by the paratroopers.
1: says that the Germans are concentrating their armor up near Bagel. Maybe heading into some more tanks. Well, as long as there's only old men and kids. Yeah.
0: I don't like retreating.
1: There's time for everything. How are the other divisions faring up north? I think we're gonna have to find another way into Germany.
0: Overall, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, there was a lot of really good scenes in there, particularly in the um, with respects to the uh, the war scenes, the battle scenes in Operation Market Garden. Um, it's clearly shown in the episode that the Dutch resistance had advised the paratroopers that there's mainly kids and there's mainly old people that are fortifying uh, Eindhoven and Noonan. But it's proven to be inaccurate information, inaccurate uh, reconnaissance as we see that there's actual German paratroopers and the full German squads fortified in that town, uh, which proves to be too much for the paratroopers. Um, Just like, uh, I guess just like some would say in the movie Apollo 13, it was a successful failure. I wouldn't necessarily consider Operation Market Garden a successful failure, but I will say that Easy Company proved to be Uh, a well-adjusted company of men and was able to show the strength of the German occupation even though they had to fall back. So it was definitely a good show of uh, resistance, but overall deemed a failure as far as their operation. It was that type of uh, failure um, in getting to uh, liberate Eindhoven and Neunen that proved to the uh, senior senior officers and the executive officers that uh getting the war uh buttoned up and finished by christmas time or getting into germany would prove to be a inaccurate objective an accurate goal um it actually proved that the german resistance in german army was here to stay and it was going to be a much longer fight than they had uh earlier anticipated I enjoyed the scene with the uh jump the day jump that was really cool to kind of see everybody landing and immediately trying to you know run to the rallying point Thought that was interesting um, It was pretty funny to see the the banter back and forth between the Tacoma men and the replacements in the first scene i I really enjoyed that uh, while bill Garnier uh, turned out to be one of my one of my favorite uh characters in the uh in the series uh definitely kind of that um macho kind of philadelphia humor and really just kind of that f- uh familial type of family type you know taking care of his younger brothers kind of kind of mentality so um i really appreciated that when kind of absorb observing um bill garnier there is that one scene where um i believe it was a. Uh, Webster, Hubler, um, they were they were doing some you know night night reconnaissance, and basically what they were doing is they were just probably walking from house to house, uh, trying to find any way to either meet new people or communicate or more than likely you just get some just get some food um, after you know kind of. Messing around with army issued food and lack of food, uh, you'd pretty much do anything to get some type of a uh, kickback from a, a Dutch re- Dutch resident or citizen, and that proves to be accurate as they're you know kind of doing their night watch or night walking. They run into a um uh I guess you could say Dutch citizen Dutch farmer uh, coming out of his basement uh, storage facility, one of those kind of like outside. Uh, stay outside downstairs to a basement facility and ask where the Germans are Paratroopers say that you know they, that they're gone so they kind of hint you know that they they don 't feed us much and that 's when he comes back with some jars full of jelly jars full of snacks stuff that uh that they can consume in that same scene uh the son of that farmer kind of shows up and Webster gives him a hershey 's bar a few things about that scene hershey's bar really thick back then uh i bet they were really really thick back then and uh you know kind of, kind of compared to the hershey's bars that we see now uh but through my reading as well i did notice that um it didn't really play out that way Uh you know the boy kind of endearing scene where he tastes chocolate for the first time and he's happy and all that you know all that was kind of that hollywood fluff you know to make it more of an intriguing scene actually what really happened and i read this in the band of brothers book was that they were actually in the home of that dutch citizen and the kid was in there and then that's where they gave him the chocolate bar and i'm not sure exactly if he had that same reaction to the chocolate but i know that the uh webster mentioned in the letters that he would send home that the father did mention that he ne- he's never tasted chocolate um just because they've been in german occupation for all that time so that's really really interesting to kind of think about that you know as a young boy being in german occupation for for basically maybe your whole life as a four-year-old five-year-old and um tasting something as rich as a chocolate bar for the first time that probably would it's probably something that that young boy remembers for the rest of his life there were some fight sequences in there um Primarily with uh, Hashi, uh, the replacement. Uh, whenever the shooting begins and that lieutenant's gunned down by that sniper. Uh, when he's uh, kind of ahead of the tank convoy. And, you know, kind of General Patton looking with the binoculars. Making himself quite, look like quite a target, as uh, Hubler said. That's when Randallman had, you know, kind of motioned to the lieutenant. He turned around and got shot. Survived that bullet. Um, there's that sequence of of events when Hashi's kind of running that, in that, uh, in that, uh, hedgerow in that little trench kind of making his way towards the town and you kind of see it slow down and you see the medic, maybe someone else helping out the Lieutenant, um, getting shot up as well. You see kind of, kind of a cloudy view of the scene, um, that, that was really cool. Uh, It reminded me back to a few military movies too, where you know the war scenes are just a little bit uh, off center or a little bit jaded. You know, kind of trying to get into the the mindset of what those soldiers were seeing at that time. Um, I haven't seen Game of Thrones yet, but uh, perhaps some of those fight scenes are just like that as well. Um, This episode was directed by David David Nutter, who is an HBO veteran. You know, he's done. This episode of Band of Brothers. He's also done some episodes of Entourage and Game of Thrones. So he's definitely familiar with the type of stuff that gets aired on HBO. But uh, I wanted to mention that as well for the fight sequences. That, that it was kind of interesting to see that delayed video. The the cloudiness uh, based on what, what Hashi, the replacements, is, is seen. Now I mentioned before how Operation Market Garden... Um, was a high-risk airborne operation that failed. Um, I want to be extremely clear on the operation itself. So I'm going to kind of read off a, a little bit about the reason it was a failure uh, based on the book of Bandit Brothers. It's not much, but I'm going to read it just because I, I don't want so that I don't misquote it. But one also, I want to make sure that I'm absolutely certain to kind of convey the idea when I talk about how it's a failure. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, start reading on Band of Brothers. Um, This is pretty much on the end of Hell's Highways chapter. Market Garden was a high-risk operation that failed. It was undertaken at the expense of two other possible offenses that had to be postponed because Eisenhower diverted supplies to Market Garden. The first was the Canadian attack on the approaches to Antwerp, Europe's greatest port and essential to the support of any allied offense across the Rhine. In the event, Antwerp was not opened and operating until the end of 1944, which meant that through the fall, the Allied expeditionary force fought with inadequate supplies. The second postponed offensive was that of Patton's Third Army, south of the Adrians. Patton believed that if he had gotten the supplies that Monty got, the, got from Market Garden, he could have crossed the Rhine that fall and then had an unimposed path open to Berlin. That seems doubtful. But we will never know because it was never tried. To the end of his life, Eisenhower insisted that Market Garden was a risk that had to be run. In my interviews with him, now this is uh, Ambrose, between 64 and 69, we discussed the operation in innumerable, innumerable times. He always came back to this. The first rule in the pursuit of a defeated enemy is to keep after him, stay in contact, press him, exploit every opportunity. The northern approach to Germany was the shortest over the terrain most suitable to offensive operations once the Rhine had been crossed. Eisenhower felt that given how close Market Garden came to succeeding, it would have been criminal for him not to have tried. Until I undertook the study of Easy Company, I agreed with his analysis. Now I wonder. Easy Company was as good as any company in the AEF, the Allied Forces. It had won spectacular victories in Normandy. Its morale was high, its equipment situation good when it dropped into Holland. It had a nice mix of veterans and recruits, old hands and fresh men. Its officers were skilled and determined, as well as being brave. The NCOs were outstanding. Despite this, in the first 10 days in Holland, just as winners told Strayer the night of the attack at Nijnen, it took a a hell of a licking. It failed to get the bridge at Sun. It failed to get through at Nijnen, on its way to Helmond, and for the first time was forced to retreat. It failed in the drive to Uden. It failed in its initial attack on the German salient south of Wegel. The causes of these failures were many. First and most critical in every case, the German opposition outmanned and outgunned the company. The airborne troops did not have artillery or the manpower necessary to launch a successful attack against German armor. Second. These were cracked German troops, including their elite parachute regiment. They did not outfight the men of Easy, but they fought as well as the Americans did. Third, the coordination between the British tankers and the American infantry was poor. Neither Easy Company nor the Guards Armored Division had any training in working with each other. This shortcoming hurt Easy at Ninen, at Uden, and again south of Vegel. At Braycourt Manor and at Carrington and Normandy, Easy had worked effectively with American tanks. In Holland, it worked ineffectively with British tanks. On a larger scale, the trouble with Market Garden was that it was an offensive on much too narrow a front. The pencil-like thrust over the Rhine was vulnerable to attacks on the flanks. The Germans saw and took advantage of that vulnerability with furious counterattacks all along the length of the line and hitting it from all sides. In retrospect, the idea that a force of several divisions consisting of British, American and Polish troops could be supplied by one highway could only have been accepted by leaders guilty of overconfidence. Easy was one of 150 or so companies that paid the price for that overconfidence. It jumped into Holland on September 17th with 154 officers and men, 10 days later. It was down to 132. So now I wanted to mention that specifically from the book, because I thought that was a really good recap on the battle itself, uh, why it was a failure. And primarily for me, uh, what I thought was interesting in in that kind of recap of the battle in the book was the lack of communication that the American paratroopers had with the British armor tanks. Um, Specifically since they had time in, in England to prepare for the war, to prepare for their initial operations in Normandy. And perhaps it was something that was just not on the radar of of the senior officers or intelligence to anticipate that both American and British and, you know, kind of these mixed national forces would have to communicate at some time during a battle. Um, and so I would say that our overconfidence definitely has something to do with that, especially after their their quick kind of successes in Normandy, and in Keratin, the Bloody Gulch. So there was definitely that kind of set-in overconfidence that kind of hurt uh, the Allied forces, I, I believe. Uh, and you know. But I don't want to take anything away from the German forces as well. The German paratroopers were trained just as well as the American paratroopers. And although I still believe that American paratroopers were highly trained, more than the Germans, and definitely had a lot more heart, um... They definitely had the advantages. They had the the act of surprise. They had fortification at different levels. So I thought it was just, um, you know, and just with the era of overconfidence in the Allied Forces front, that proved to be the tipping point um, in the uh, Operation Market Garden. A few other things, too, I noticed. um, Replacements, you know... It's it's one episode. Um, I'm not sure. It's probably over the span of maybe maybe a month or two, um, but definitely enough time for replacements to kind of you know fit in with the company of men uh, to make friends. Uh, you definitely notice in the first scene that uh, Private Heffron's you know kind of fraternizing with the with the officers like uh, Compton and uh, Luz and Toy. So already, you know, he's kind of invested some type of uh, friendship with these men. Um, different from what we saw in the previous episode in um, in Carrington, uh, where they were kind of all new. Um, but, you know, definitely the replacements uh, were felt at home. I mean, of course, there was some hazing here and there. Uh, but um, when you're joining a new group, um, especially when it's all men... Um, you're definitely gonna get subject subject to a little bit of hazing or some uh, good old fi- fashioned, you know, bullying here and there. One thing I noticed, kind of nitpicky of me, uh, but in the uh, in the fighting at Neumann, uh when when Sergeant Randleman was uh, injured with that shrapnel in the back, the back of his shoulder, he's crawling in that little small hedgerow away from the oncoming tank uh the tank that's on fire as um sergeant martin is looking over that kind of patio area what looks like i guess what i i guess what i have to characterize as like a restaurant uh where he's using that for cover he's looking over at that tank uh that's kind of slowly heading towards random and who's crawling out of the way you can notice some crew um uh, i'll say that again you'll notice some crew that's visible in that scene so when they show the tank um that's on fire uh you'll see what looks like two men as part of the crew and they're kind of filming what it looks like to be they're filming maybe a, a front shot of the tank or they can very well be filming um Randallman, um uh, the actor Randleman uh, who, who's portraying Randleman crawling on the floor because they're holding on to, to like a, a mobile kind of camera, so Especially if you're gonna use big props like tanks and they're on fire You definitely want to get different angles of that occurring all at the same time So I would not be surprised if the tank going after Randleman the tank uh, From the backside being looked at by sergeant Martin's point of view was all one one shot you know, just by different cameras. But you can definitely see the crew as well and that kind of on the very bottom right corner you'll notice them very briefly. So that's kind of a little nitpick of of what I have there as well. Um one thing I also noticed too, um in reading the the book that Bill Garnier and uh Hefron uh wrote together. So the way that book is set up is, you know, especially if both men were there, uh, Garnier will say his kind of point of view and then Heffron will say his point of view. There's that one scene. um, I believe it's with uh, Hubler, maybe Webster. There's a gentleman in there that gets uh, gunned down. Um, I think he survives, but they show him kind of For a brief moment, hesitating before he kind of rams through some bushes into a little ditch. uh, Right after Hubler, you know he hesitates and then he's pelted uh, with fire. What looks to be like multiple gunshots uh, to his body, neck. Like he gets he gets carried away. Um, But um, Private Heffron Babe in his book, uh, he says that. He was with that group of men. So he was with Hubler, with Webster, and that gentleman that got shot. And as they went through those bushes, um, this wasn't portrayed in the show, in the episode, but in the book it states that he went through those uh, bushes um, in a hurry. And as he did that, um, the helmet, his helmet was knocked off his head. And he was also wearing a rosary as well. And the rosary was knocked off as well. So as he landed in that little small trench you know the first thing he thought about was his rosary and he was like you know kind of upset because he felt i did it i lost my rosary i'm gonna die now because you know i need all the help i can get you know all this time through normandy to carrington and he's had the rosary around his neck the whole time so he mentions that as he goes to pick up his um helmet that fell off as he went through the bushes the same time that his rosary fell off his neck. He picked up his helmet and the rosary was sitting in his helmet. I thought that was just unbelievable. Interesting. I mean, that's that's not a coincidence. That's God right there. That was God speaking to, to Hephron there saying, hey, I got your back and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. And don't forget this. To think that a man's helmet falls off, his rosary falls off his neck and still lands inside his helmet um you know god made sure that that rosary was going to stay with him all throughout the war so i thought that, that was a really interesting story that hephron brought up in his book overall um i enjoyed the episode i really loved it um it's definitely a good depiction of you know kind of the overconfidence um the overconfidence that was portrayed from the senior officials down to the actual company of men you know just like some say attitude reflects leadership right so as these intelligence officers and these senior officers are ex- exhibiting these this kind of notion of overconfidence it's going to seep down to the men and they paid the price for it some paid the price by death like a uh, like private uh private James Miller who got pelted in the in the head as a replacement or getting shot like compton or you get paid the price by just getting your ass kicked and in this episode they did uh operation market garden was a failure and you can um blame that on overconfidence you can blame it on lack of communication uh multinational communication errors uh but overall i thought it was a good episode i enjoyed randleman uh randleman, um the actor that portrays him uh, is a good actor um he can be seen in other kind of network television shows as well uh but overall i thought um i loved it it was definitely a good kind of insight to the development of winters and nixon as well as winters and nixon are now kind of not really in the thick of things yet um but they're kind of laying back now and kind of orchestrating the whole thing now for their for the colonels and for and for the um uh, the captains and the battalion commanders so they're kinda playing that middleman now in charge of all the NCOs and let's hope that uh, Lipton has no more bad news (laughs) because it just seems like every time he gets promoted or every time he gets has an announcement to make uh, he always has bad news for the men Um, so looking forward to the next episode Um, hope you enjoyed this one It was called replacements and let me know what you think Uh, find us um, at Podcast at gmail.com you can find us on facebook and instagram and i hope you uh have a chance to listen to the other in the foxhole episodes on podbean spotify or anchor and remember we also have another uh series podcast as well called the wise guys on the Sopranos. so check that out as well so i uh, appreciate you ha- taking your time to listen to this episode and uh i'll talk to you guys in the next episode thanks
1: bye In the Foxhole is not endorsed by HBO Home Entertainment, DreamWorks Television, and Playtone Production Company. Band of Brothers, its logos, names, still frames, and audio are registered trademarks and copyrights of their respective owners. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. All research information and audio used for the production are cited at www.nesticquerypodcast.com, and any missed sites are merely unintentional. Yeah.